Hey guys, welcome back to the OG of the HRC Way news. They ain't telling you. Let's get right into the quick news of the day because there's a whole lot of it. Okay, so as you guys probably know, the articles of impeachment are officially in the hands of the Senate. Um, interesting facts. Chief Justice Roberts announced that he will not oversee this impeachment, instead leaving it up to Senator Leahy, who is second in command in the Senate. That's interesting. Um, the actual trial will begin February 9th. I know that Senator Paul of Kentucky and Senator Corrin of Texas um, today, probably as we speak, um, are trying to stop it from even moving forward to the next page. So we shall see what happens. Very exciting news. We have a woman a secretary of treasury for the very first time, Janet Yellen. She has been confirmed. She was bipartisan confirmed. She has been around forever. To me, she's like the Hillary Clinton version of economics and finance. She's worked in every job possible in our government, around our government to do with money. She's the lady. I'm so excited for her to be taking on this economy. Very excited. She was confirmed and sworn in today. Um, also, we have a brand new Secretary of State. We have a brand new Secretary of Defense. So President Biden's cabinet is slowly coming together with no problems. There hasn't been any holdups, and they've all been bipartisan. So that's all positive news. Um, Biden is President Biden is wanting to speed up the release of the Harriet Tubman $20 bills. And if you guys follow us, you guys heard it here first where I was questioning whether or not that was going to happen. So way to go, President Biden. Very excited. I don't know the exact dates yet. He hasn't released the exact dates. Um, Ohio Senator Portman will not seek re-election in 2022. So we're probably looking at Congressman Jim Jordan versus Congressman Tim Ryan. Um, that's my probably guesstimation. I know for sure. Jim Jordan has been waiting for this day. But what's really sad about this is that Senator Portman, uh, even though he's a Republican, he is a middle-of-the-road guy. He's a stand-up man. And in his statement of why he was not going to seek re-election, he said he can't handle all the partisan politics. So how sad is that, um, that this is the new norm that someone like Senator Portman's like, get me out of here. And he's a young guy. He's not, you know, he's not Grassley or Feinstein's age. So this is very shocking for the GOP. Um, do I think we have a shot in Ohio? We'll see. Ohio's interesting, so I don't really know. Probably not, but okay. <laughs> um, a side note in sports world, because I am a sports girl, just so you guys know, football, basketball, baseball are my jam. The Kansas City Chiefs versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be in the Super Bowl. So you basically have Brady, who's the old quarterback at 43, and he did it on a different team, uh, and the young guy, Patrick Mahomes. So that's exciting. Yay. No. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I am a Seahawk fan, so mm. Anyways, uh, other news. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is running for governor of Arkansas. If you guys follow us on TikTok, you know I made a fun little TikTok where I put a picture of Hillary and Bill, and I'm like, wow, sorry, Arkansas, you've really gone down. Um, but I will say this. Let me just say this about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, this will be first and foremost a test 
for Trump and Trump allies to see if they can win without his name on the ticket, if his if he's a powerhouse. He statistically he hasn't done that well. Look at, you know, uh uh the special election in Georgia. Doesn't do well uh, midterms, doesn't do well unless his name is on the ticket, kind of like how Obama was. Um, so this will be his first sort of big test because she is a Trump supporter through and through. Um, of course, she's the former press secretary for a brief period. Um, I also just want to say this because when I posted that video on TikTok, I got a good amount of comments that were talking about Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the way she looks. I say this truthfully to all of you guys. I don't want to see it and I don't want to hear it. Okay, because at the end of the day, her looks have nothing to do with her soul and who she sold her soul out to and the type of governor she may or may not be. So don't talk about her looks, you guys. There's plenty to talk about with her that have nothing to do with her looks of calling her all sorts of crazy names that I will not be repeating. So just don't do it. I'm not about that life in any way. So um, this is exciting news. Very, very exciting news. As you guys have probably seen, Champ and Major have arrived in the White House. Yay, we have two puppies back in the White House. They were the cutest photos. They they were hanging out in Delaware waiting until the, you know, first family was was settled and they got settled. So now, you know, you got, you know, uh Champ sort of closing along at 12 years old and the cutest photo of the first lady getting on, you know, her knees to like greet him and Major just like running around like a crazy dog and then Later, President Biden was signing an executive order, and then all of a sudden you hear two dogs barking in the background. I mean, come on, you guys. Like, I am so excited to go to Washington, D.C. because they're giving them a huge... So if any of you guys have ever been to Washington, D.C., or if you haven't, I'll explain it to you. So the White House, the back of the White House, is this... They have one fence, and then they have this huge, like, park. It's part of the National Mall, the Washington Monument's right behind there. And what they're doing is they're extending that out for the dogs. So if the dogs want to go out and play, they have this huge area. And the fence is like you can see through the fence. So you'll be able to see the dogs. And like I am so excited to see these dogs. And um, they're super cute dogs. And, you know, Champ is so old and <laughs> moving so slow. But um, I love it. I think it brings humanity back to the White House. It's what we've desperately been missing. And I just want to say to the First Lady, Dr. Biden, I'm a big fan of yours. But can like we please get on a TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter account for Champ and Major and eventually this cat that you guys are going to adopt? I'm not the only one who wants that. So let's make that happen just to make a smile because I see some like fake ones and I get excited and it's not. It's like fake. So can we get an official champ and major Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok? Please and thank you. Okay, in more serious news, um, I'm going to go a little more into this later, but uh, Pelosi and Schumer will introduce a bill raising minimum wage to $15 over a five-year period. That is going to be um, led by House members and Senator Murray of Washington and Senator Sanders of Vermont. So they're going to lead the charge on that. So basically by 2025, the minimum wage will reach $15 and then would increase to the median wage growth, which is what we have now, which is about um, inflation and with inflation of prices, then we get inflation of wage growth. 
So it's a very small number, as we've seen for a long time now. So currently, the federal minimum wage is at seven twenty-five. So they're going to start it at twelve dollars and gradually work to fifteen dollars by twenty twenty-five. So, like I said, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail later. Um, more vaccines are coming. Uh, President Biden announced today that 10 million more are coming for all the states so that we can get a million to a million and a half out every single day um, across the country to get our country open again. California has officially opened back up. Gavin, partly, you know, we're not fully, but we have, we don't have indoor dining, but we have outdoor dining. Um, I believe barbershops, salons, nail salons, all that jazz can open with precautions and plastic and all sorts of craziness. So that's that. Um, Biden, President Biden is, this is a really, really big deal. He's directing the Justice Department to not renew contracts with private prisons. Um, That is a massive step in the right direction. Um, Private prisons, profit prisons, whatever you want to call them, just so everyone knows, the federal government has contracts with private prisons and the private prisons make millions. And it's, you know, like Betsy DeVos's um, brother, I believe, owns a ton of these private prisons and he has made millions and millions of dollars off of literally locking people up. Um, so a lot of times judges will sort of push and they get a kickback. So it's, a, it's an entirely broken system. So to hear the president of the United States say that he is directing his Justice Department to not renew contracts with private prisons is a massive, massive deal. And it is it, it is the first step of undoing the crime bill as we know it. Um, the crime bill that, of course, President Clinton signed in the 90s and now President Biden was a big, big supporter of in the 90s. So that is a great, great thing. Those are the quick news. Let's go into a little more detail. Okay, guys. So first story up is what I'm calling Schumer versus McConnell. It sounds like a fight. Right. Um, So (laughs) I'm sure that a lot of you guys watched Rachel Maddow uh, the other night where she had uh, Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on the same night that Mitch McConnell came out and said, "Okay, we can move forward with the committee seats. We can move forward. I have everything that I need. So a lot of people are taking this as Schumer got the win. And some people are saying that McConnell got the win. Um, there's mixed reviews. So basically what happened, so you guys have a little bit of a backstory here, is that Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema, the two senators I told you all a few weeks ago to watch out, or just watch, I should say, watch out sounds wrong, but um, they announced that they will not vote to overturn the filibuster, no matter what. Uh, Cinema said, no ifs, ands, or buts. Manchin said, no ifs, ands, or buts. This is not surprising. This is how they've been for a long time. Um, Cinema sort of beats to her own drum, like I told you guys in a prior episode. She um, voted with Trump like 65% of the time when she was in the House and like 35% of the time when she was in the Senate. So she sort of does her own thing. She calls herself a conservative Democrat, as does Manchin. Um, So this is no surprise. But the fact that McConnell was able to get them on the record saying period point blank is where the real sort of like who won in this battle lands. Um, Personally, I don't think anyone won. I think that we're looking at a 50-50 Senate, you know, uh, Senate and plus one with the VP. 
MVP, I should say, right? Um, so, I, I mean, they both can walk around like they gained something, but neither one really gained anything. We're just moving forward with the Senate because we have to move forward with the Senate. I mean, we have to get to work now. The American people have hired uh, hired them, not us, I don't work there, but hired them to do a job, to perform. So we have currently in the Senate waiting, we have impeachment, we have COVID, and um, we have an economic crisis. So they have a lot on their plate. So like, let's get this nonsense, this noise. Okay, Schumer, you want to say you won. Okay, McConnell, you want to say you won. You know, this is why I kind of, I don't watch Rachel Maddow because I watched it the other night when she had on Chuck Schum- Sh- uh, Senator Schumer. And she like does this thing where she's like bouncy and she's like, oh my gosh, like this is the greatest thing on earth. And I'm like, no one won. Sorry, guys. I, I mean, you know, now the hard work begins. Because to me, Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema have made it clear they are going to vote for their state. They're not going to vote for the party. That That's very, very clear. And part of me is I sort of don't blame them. You know, Cinema is sitting in Arizona, which is a very, very light purple state. And she won her seat in 2018 by only 1.7 points. That's nothing. That's like margin of error. Okay, and she's up for re-election in 2024. Obviously, she wants to keep Arizona blue or her version of blue, right? And Manchin won his seat by three points, which was the closest his races have ever been. And he's up for re-election in 2024. And West Virginia is a massively red state. So I know a lot of people like to get them sort of a hard time. Um, because, you know, I, I saw a lot on Twitter last night or these last couple of nights. I saw, you know, saying things like, oh, we need to get rid of these Republicans, like, and, and push in Democrats. And I'm like, they don't always vote like a Republican. It's just they vote for their state. You guys need to realize that senators represent their state. And I know that's very frustrating for some people, but something like the Green New Deal doesn't work in Arizona. So would you rather us have a senator there who votes with us 60 to 75 percent of the time versus a Republican senator who only votes with us 5 percent of the time? You really have to look at those margins. I know that Senator Manchin always gets like, oh, and he is center right. I'm not denying that, but he has to be center right. And his entire thing is about bipartisanship and his entire being. And it works. For West Virginia, but it's like, again, he votes with us over 60% of the time. Now, that other percentage, I understand you guys get frustrated, and you, but you guys have to ask yourself, would you rather have, like, Capito is the other senator in West Virginia. She votes Republican 97% of the time. So you really have to look at those numbers and ask yourself, I can understand that it's frustrating. I can understand that these are Democrats and we're all supposed to be, but that's not what they're hired to do. So if you have an issue, if you live in Arizona, you live in West Virginia and you want them to vote a different way, then call your Senator. That's what I can't you know, attest to. So I'll give you an example. Senator Feinstein, she, if she's come out and she said she's going to vote no on a bill, she'll wait and see. And the rumor is, this is on good authority. The rumor is, is that if she gets 4,000 or more calls in a time period, 
she'll she's open to switching her vote because she ha- she represents the people of California, which is a diverse group of of citizens. So that's all I'm saying is everyone's saying like we need to get two more Repu-. like no a California senator is not the same as a West Virginia senator. A Ohio senator is not the same as as a Oregon senator. They're very different, and they have to vote accordingly. They have to vote to what their state needs. So to me, at the end of the day, this falls on the American people, people of West Virginia, people of Arizona. If you live there and you want your senator to vote, mansion or cinema to vote a certain way, call them. Don't write them because it's a waste of time to write them. Call them. Okay. And this also falls on Chuck Schumer. If his, his part of his job is to whip votes. So, you know, you look at Pelosi. I'm going to give you a great example. When Obamacare happened, it was clear it was going to be razor thin if we were going to push this thing through. And she knew that. No one can whip votes better than Nancy Pelosi. Even her biggest enemies will say that. And she can gather her caucus and get them united and let's go. That's what she does. That's what makes her brilliant. And she went around to certain to certain people in Congress and said, you're going to lose your job. I guarantee you, you're going to lose your job. But voting for Obamacare is more important than that. And what did those people do? They voted for Obamacare because they thought it was the right thing to do. So that's something that Chuck Schumer needs to do. He's the majority leader now. He's no longer the minority leader. We only have 50 votes. We can't lose. We can't have Finding Dory going all around. So that falls on Schumer. Everyone needs to stop making excuses of like, oh, well, this is on Manchin. No, that's your job. It's Pelosi's job as Speaker of the House. It's Kevin McCarthy's job as Minority Leader. It's Mitch McConnell's job as Minority Leader. And now it's Chuck Schumer's job as Majority Leader. Mitch McConnell is the Grim Reaper. No denying that. But he knows how to control his caucus, and he knows how to count his votes. So he never makes a statement or a move without knowing what his count is. Chuck Schumer doesn't always do that. So before you go all in, look at the whole, the whole scenario. Okay? Because at the end of the day, we're 50-50 with an MVP. And we can't afford to lose a single vote. And in many ways, that makes us more vulnerable than the other side. Just just something to think about. All right, so um, there was an interesting case. Um, I'm super, super dorky, and I keep track of the uh, bracket for Supreme Court in the United States. I used to do so more intently when um, RBG was there, but I'm trying to get back into it. Um, so... They, they've seen a couple cases in the last day. I know that you guys have probably heard they threw out a big case against Donald Trump saying there wasn't enough evidence and they all unanimously moved forward. So anytime there's a unanimous vote on something, I go like, okay, this really was, you know, not of value. Um, people need to remember something before I go into this. Supreme Court's job and only job is to say whether something is constitutional or not. If, it, if a law goes against the Constitution or is with the Constitution, that's their only job. The interpretation of that, interpretation of a law according to the Constitution, that's it. So this was interesting, and I found this to be like an exciting story, but 
Supreme Court ruled on Monday that Planned Parenthood that were ordered to close due to COVID in Texas must reopen. So Governor Abbott of Texas, he shut down all abortion clinics, all Planned Parenthood, and he said it was due to COVID, that it was a selective procedure. Um, but here's the thing about uh, Planned Parenthood that, that's always this misconception is that Planned Parenthood is like so much more than just abortions. Um, it provides mammograms for women. It provides just basic health necessities. It provides birth control. It provides all sorts of services. So it's a medical clinic. So how can you close down a me- an actual medical clinic that's more than just one thing, which, by the way, I wasn't aware that abortions were a selective surgery. But okay. Um, so the Fifth Circuit Court, which is highest second highest court after the Supreme Court, they ruled with Governor Abbott and said, yep, you can keep them all closed. Um, Fifth Circuit Court, just so everyone knows, has a lot of judges that guess who picked? Trump. That's right. Okay. um, And then uh, Supreme Court came back and said that the Fifth Circuit Court has to dismiss all of those cases and Texas must reopen all of Planned Parenthood. So it was a rare win for Planned Parenthood, especially with this court. So um, I wouldn't take it, ladies, as a a move in the right direction for women's right to choose because it wasn't about that. It was about this is a medical clinic that offers facilities um, for other things, like I said. But um, because I guarantee you if they just were an abortion clinic that they, they would be like, you can keep them closed. So... You know, we are. my point here is that we are going to be seeing more and more cases about women's right to choose slowly chipping away until we get to Roe v. Wade, in my opinion. But I saw an interesting, um, interesting. I think it was TikTok, I think. I'm not sure. Um, you guys are so smart out there in TikTok, but uh, you have a lot of time in your hands, I feel like. <laughs> but it was very interesting because uh, this person had said that they don't believe that Republicans actually want to get rid of Roe v. Wade because they campaign on it and look at like Donald Trump and in my view and Nancy Pelosi's view and a lot of other Hillary Clinton's view and a lot of other people, really smart people's view. Um, Roe v. Wade was the the justices, Supreme Court justices was a huge topic um, for Donald Trump, a huge push point. And when he came out in 2016 with the justices that he would replace you know, for the seat that was open and potentially two more seats, um, and they were all pro-life, that that changed the game for him. And a lot of evangelists, a lot of pro-life people are able to overlook all of his craziness and his antics because he gave them three pro massively pro-life justices, meaning like, oh, maybe Roe v. Wade will be overturned. But whomever this person was on TikTok, I think, like, they have an interesting point. Like, do Republicans, like, politicians, do they actually want Roe v. Wade to be overturned? Because then what would they have to complain about? Like, what would they have to campaign about? What would they have to put fear in people's mind about? So that's a really interesting thought that everyone should think about. Like, do they really want Roe v. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of real people and there are plenty of politicians um, who want Roe v. Wade to be gone and women's rights to choose to be gone and probably birth control to be gone and the whole ordeal. But the people who sort of run things in the GOP, like, do they really want Roe v. Wade? Because there was a point where the Supreme Court, I think, was like, 
eight to one. And I think that was like in the night, I think late eighties, early nineties, I think, I think, I believe, um, I'm thinking off the top of my head, so forgive me. But there was a point where they had like a eight to one court and they still didn't overturn Roe v. Wade. And statistically, the court has been more conservative than liberal since the beginning of our country, but especially post Roe v. Wade decision. So that's a really, really interesting point that I thought maybe you guys should think about. So, okay, guys, I know that we just had inauguration not that long ago. We have a brand new president, brand new administration, brand new Congress, you know, uh, the whole shebang. But I'm here to talk about 2022 midterms because the second that impeachment went over from the House to the Senate, 2022 begins, period, point blank. That's how politics works. And so this is this is where we are. So it's really interesting because in 2020, um, I have talked a great deal about this. Chuck Schumer blew, you know, blew the blew the long game here because Republicans were more vulnerable than we were in terms of Senate seats, and we weren't able to go in for the kill on someone like Susan Collins or you know Joni Ernst was even vulnerable. Or, you know, uh, he didn't do it. So here we are at fifty fifty plus one. So these are the states that are in play for Republicans. In play, I mean that we could flip if we invested. Um, these are all states that the the person lost won by a small margin. So we have Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, and Missouri are all in play. They're all held right now by Republicans. I believe that those states are in play. Um, now, from the other side, Democrats, states that are in danger. Arizona, because Mark Kelly, Senator Kelly, has to turn around in a quick re-election and re-win that seat. Georgia, same thing for Warnock. He has to turn around and re-win that seat. Um, New Hampshire and Nevada. So in New Hampshire, it's Senator Hassan, who only won her seat by 1.3 points, which is crazy. Um, She is popular there because she was a former governor, a very popular former governor, but who knows? And Nevada, it is uh, Senator Catherine Castro Masto. She only won her seats by three points. So this is really interesting, right? So we have to defend these seats, these two seats, especially that we just won, Arizona and Georgia, and prove that that wasn't some sort of fluke, first and foremost. We have to Look at Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, and Missouri. I personally really, really, really want Florida only because it's Marco Rubio and I'm just tired of him and I want him gone. So Florida can be in play. But these states that are in play, I need to make this very, very, very clear. Okay, we lost Florida, a lot of house seats in Florida. We lost three house seats, two in Miami-Dade County that we shouldn't have lost all because of the socialism tag that has been put in place by the extreme side of the Democratic Party. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, and Missouri do not speak socialism. They don't. It's it's middle America. It's blue collar. It's They don't speak it. It doesn't make them right, wrong, and they just don't speak that. So we cannot have candidates for one, that are of the extreme side because they won't win. And we can't send 
Congress members, you know, who are more extreme out to help these states. Um, everyone always talks about, but they say, oh, Sherrod Brown in, in Ohio. Thing is with Sherrod Brown is, yes, he is more left. However, he is very blue collar. He is a true blue collar man. It comes across as that. And so that's why I think that he's like this special egg. Because he's able to say, like, let's talk about the environment, but also let's talk about, you know, steel in Pennsylvania or whatever. <laughs> you know, that he's this rare egg. So Missouri, we can easily take that seat, take a seat back. We lost Claire McCaskill to, in Missouri because of Kavanaugh, her voting for no on Kavanaugh. North Carolina, he only won his seat by, he only kept his seat by like 1.3 points. Um, Florida, Marco Rubio, like who likes Marco Rubio? Like, honestly, like who, who, who like, can someone tell me who really likes Marco Rubio? Honestly, he's the most annoying. Okay. And then Ohio, of course we have Portman. He's not running for reelection. So that is, it's harder to be an incumbent than someone who comes in. And Jim Jordan is like with his like rolled up sleeves and like, you know, uh, don't even get me started on that guy. But, um, if he goes against Tim Ryan, I'm not the biggest fan of Tim Ryan, but he is that Ohio sort of bread. And that's how we have to look at it, is that not every state, like I said earlier, not every state is the same. So, you know, Wisconsin, we can easily win in Wisconsin. We won Wisconsin in the general. We already have a senator there, Senator Baldwin, who's a lesbian in Wisconsin. So it's like, yeah, let's get a really great candidate in Wisconsin, please and thank you. And Pennsylvania, that's a tough state to win. But Joe Biden took Pennsylvania. He's from Pennsylvania. So someone like that, they they have to be a different breed. So don't go sending our wackadoos out to these states because we will lose. And it's now Chuck Schumer's job to pick people to run in these states. So pick accordingly. You know, pick accordingly. And am I worried about Nevada and New Hampshire? Yes. I am, and I'm worried about Georgia, and I'm worried about Arizona, you know, and that's just in the Senate, you guys. When we look at the House, we we have so much to defend. You know, all 435 seats are always up every two years. We have a lot of seats to defend. In terms of vulnerable seats, Republicans only have like three vulnerable seats out of all 435. The rest are on us where we have to defend ourselves, which I believe it's about 15 seats that we really have to be worried about. We have a very small margin um, of error because we have a very small margin of control. So I don't know what um, Pelosi's plan is for 2022. I don't know if she's going to retire before then. I don't know if she'll run and then she'll retire. Um, I'm not sure, but I'm... I would almost be certain that she's going to wrap things up and this might be her last hurrah. Um, And that'll be interesting what happens after her because she picks great candidates. She knows what districts to pay attention to. She can look at a map and be like, we can take that, that, and that, you know, like I said, she can count like no other. So I don't know what it's going to look like, but we are officially in 2022 and I know we just got over an election, but if we plan on getting anything done in the fir- in the four years that of the Biden administration, we need the House and we need the Senate because they're 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 not going to play ball with us otherwise. They're they're going to make his life 
you know, and I don't believe he's going to run for reelection. So this is it. You got four years to sort of fix this. So what they start doing today matters because that's what people go, oh, wait, they did this. They did that. They, you know, and that matters in terms of reelection because all eyes are on Democrats. We have full control. And if we mess this up, we'll lose the House, we'll lose the Senate or both. And that's not something that I want to see, but it's it's a possibility. So 2022 is here. Sorry, guys. I know. Vacation over. Back to work. Okay, so I had so much fun doing the five Flotus facts where I picked out Nancy Reagan. Um, so I decided I was going to do it again today. So let's see. Hopefully... Nancy Reagan's already over with, so, I mean, how bad can it be? Okay. Sorry, they stick together because they're post-its. Okay. Here we go. I got... <gasps> Yay! Rosalind Carter. Uh, I love Rosalind Carter so much. So this will be more fun than the other time. <laughs> okay, five FLOTUS facts about Rosalind Carter. Um, she is the wife of, obviously, Jimmy Carter, um, one-term president. Uh, who came after Ford um, when the country was still reeling from the Nixon administration. Um, Rosalind Carter, five facts about Rosalind Carter. So her and Jimmy Carter have been married for, I think, like 60 years or something. Uh, a long, long, long time. Um, they have an adorable relationship. But when she became first lady, she decided she wanted to be very active. Um, she, her big, like big platform was about mental health, which this was back in the seventies where people really were not talking about mental health and how it affected you and people around you. And she made that her platform. And she actually made that her sort of life's purpose. Even after she left the white house, she still continued on with mental health. She's written a handful of books, um, you know, so what's interesting about Rosalind Carter, another fact, is that she was the first first lady to represent America without her husband um, in a foreign country. Um, she went to, she did like a tour, the first first lady to do a tour. She was in South America, and she got a lot of backlash for that. Um, but what's more infamous about that trip was that when she came home and she was on the tarmac and the plane was landing... Then President Carter was running out to the tarmac to meet her because they had never been away from each other for that long period of time. So I think that's a very sweet story. Um, what else can I say? Oh, Rosalind Carter wore to her, to her husband's inauguration balls. She wore the same gown that she had worn when he was the inauguration of the governor's ball, when he was governor of Georgia, because she didn't think it was wise to spend money when the country was, you know, and starting to be in economic distress. So that's really interesting. And that gown is at the Smithsonian and it's really pretty and, um, but it's not as over the top as some of the other first ladies. That's for sure. Um, fourth fact, what can I say about Rosalind Carter? What else can I possibly say? Um, she is, her and her husband still to this day volunteer with Habitat for Humanity. She's like, 90 I think she's like 93 because she's a few years younger than Jimmy Carter and they still volunteer with Habitat for Humanity um and the fifth thing is she is an extremely religious woman 
Um, but what I love about Rosalind Carter is that even though she's very religious, um, she doesn't push her religion on other people or judge you for not believing the same as her. She's very accepting, very loving, very giving, um, just like her husband. And what's interesting is a lot of people see Jimmy Carter's presidency as sort of a disaster. And in many ways, I guess you can say it was, that's for sure. But I say all the time that he was just someone who shouldn't have ever been president, but he was president at a time when the country thought that we wanted someone like calm and just normal. And that was definitely Jimmy Carter. Um, but she was more popular than he was many, many times. Her popularity rating always kind of stayed in the high 60s, which is really good. So Rosalind Carter is still to this day loved. But I definitely think that the Carters are loved more post-presidency than during their pres- during his presidency. So those are five little factoids off the top of my head off of, about Rosalind Carter. She's a great woman. Daily Descent with the OG of HRC. Um, so I talked a little bit earlier about how Pelosi and Schumer have come out with a plan to raise the minimum wage to $15 by 2025. And Bernie Sanders is leading. Senator Murray is leading, um, along with a couple of House members. Great. Outstanding. Um, and then once we get to 15, then it'll go back to sort of federal median, what is it called? The median wage growth, which is just based on inflation. Um, so that's that's great. That's cool. But the reason it's my daily descent today <laughs> is really simple. Um, in 2016, when Hillary Clinton was running, um, the extreme left was coming at her about the fight for 15. And she, as she does all policy, she took a very realistic view, which I've discussed prior to this with you guys, about what are how are we going to help the small towns across America um, reach that $15, be able to afford that $15 per employee without losing employees, without losing money. Um, she came up with an idea to do tax incentives, But she had said, I'm comfortable with $12 an hour, and I'm not going to go higher than that because it's unreasonable to right out the gate go to $15. Currently, we're at $7.25 for a federal minimum wage. So that was a big jump, you know, and it's not that she was saying she was against $15. She was just, as usual, being very realistic, and she never sent out policy that she couldn't actually accomplish by any means. So when she did that, she was reamed, I mean reamed from the extreme left to a point where it was like, it was so bad that she was having her campaign events and she was stopping 20 minutes through instead of doing a 25, 30 minute speech, she was doing a 15 to 20 minute speech because they were shouting at her so loud um, and interrupting her nonstop about this fight for 15, like she was this horrible person who didn't want to give $15. It was unacceptable across all boards. It was unacceptable by Bernie Sanders. It was unacceptable. Multiple debates. He brought it up with her. She had tried to explain, like, this is why we have to be reasonable. Fast forward all these years later, and now all of a sudden, it's acceptable. Not only is it acceptable, but Bernie Sanders himself is is fighting for it. He is the lead on this fight for 15 by 2025, which, holy moly, If you guys would have just voted 
for Hillary Clinton in 2016, we would be at $15 right now, y'all. Period. But instead, the extreme left said, no, I'm going to stay home because she's not acceptable because she's not fighting for $15, even though she was in the same way that your Lord and Savior Bernie Sanders is now, except for it's delayed by four, four years. So all I have to say is you absolute hypocrites of the extreme left, of even the left, you hypocrites. It wasn't good enough coming from her. It's not good enough until, what, Sanders puts his stamp of approval on something? It's the same idea that Hillary Clinton had. Not Nancy Pelosi, not Chuck Schumer, not Bernie Sanders, not Senator Murray. No, Hillary Clinton had this idea. Did they read her book where she had all of her policy and go, oh, this looks like a great idea. Looks like we'll do that. Yeah, that that's where we are. And that's why I, I'm so... Like every single day, it's something else where I'm like, really? Like Hillary said that in 2016, but you guys didn't want that. Really? This is what, but you guys didn't want that. You guys pushed and you pushed and you pushed and then you didn't show up to vote or you voted third party. You voted for Jill Stein. So, and then we had Donald Trump for four years and then I don't know, everyone went, oh my God, this was so horrible, worse than, oh wait, Hillary Clinton tried to tell us it was. So, Honestly, I would love to talk about other things on my daily descent, but I feel like it's my job as the OG of the HRC to sort of protect and be like, no, 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 we're going to clear the air of what really is happening here. And that's what really is happening here. You can go back and you can do your research. You can go back and watch how she did interviews. You can go back and read her policy. This is exactly what she said. And Bernie Sanders four years ago said no. Now y'all like think that he's some, okay, Have fun with that and have fun trying to get it passed in the Congress because it's going to be a fight like no other. So I really, really hope that they are thinking about this in the same manner that Hillary Clinton does when she writes policy. Because Hillary Clinton knows how to make laws happen because she did when she was a senator. So good luck with that, you guys. Good luck with the Hillary Clinton, and that's what I'm going to call it, 12 to 15 by 2025, the Hillary Rodham Clinton plan. Good luck with that, guys. Good luck. Okay, guys, make sure you check us out on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I think that's all we have, right? Yeah. (laughs) Until next time, OG of the HRC, signing out.